Welcome to 3AM, a learning opportunity through conversation furnished by the McFarland Group. We record in the Relationary Marketing Studio at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. 3AM is a podcast conversation driven to bring the best solution stories from social impact superstars. Our intent through these conversations is to optimize your impact as you disrupt the status quo to make the world better. Why do we call our podcast 3AM? Because so many of us wake up in the middle of the night with questions, concerns, inspirations, and sometimes regret. And that time, 3 a.m., is the time in a body's daily cycle when the work of detoxification, rest, recovery, and planning occur, according to traditional Chinese medicine. For this episode of 3 a.m., I enjoyed an engaging conversation with Courtney Hale, founder and CEO of Knowledge Bank Solutions. This social enterprise has been in existence since 2017, educating youth in the financial literacy space digitally. It all started, though, as a nonprofit program in 2012, the outcome of lessons learned from Courtney's childhood. Courtney Hale and Knowledge Bank Solutions are about empowerment, about changing the relationship of money to the individual. It's a journey he shares with us of impact that seems to only have generated speed as the enterprise moves forward. There's so much to learn from Courtney, so let's jump in. So Courtney, thank you for joining us today on 3AM. We are thrilled to have you here and hear the story of Knowledge Bank and all the wonderful things you're doing in the social enterprise space. Well, thank you for having me. Um, Let's get right down to it, right? So how did it come about that you thought about pouring your talents and energies, right, into financial literacy space for, I mean, across the board in terms of youth, and then we can go specifically to the little ones. So financial literacy for youth. Talk to me about that. Yes. So I grew up in a household with two aspiring entrepreneurs, um, a mom that was an amazing creative and um, my stepdad that was just an aspiring businessman. And he wanted to figure out how to do some things in finance. And long story short, they weren't able to overcome their financial challenges. And it basically led to the, the end of their dreams individually and ultimately the end of their marriage. And that created a cycle of challenges for all of us. And um, when I became an adult um, out of school, started working in the financial services industry. And I reflected on what growing up in our household was like. And the conclusion that I came to was that both of my parents were right. Like my mom, her thing was, hey, we have so many money issues and we have these kids and we can't afford to go out here and risk everything that we have um, for the consequence of not being able to feed our babies. And my dad was like, this is what we want to do, right? We want to start these things. There's this opportunity. We should just risk it all. Like, let's go for it, right? And um, they were both right. And what I realized was that, you know, if they would have had the right guidance, the right supports, the right, you know, training about, you know, how to save for things that we want to do and how to invest in a business and understand all of those different things, then they probably would still be together and they both would be very successful entrepreneurs. And I think that we all have big dreams, whether it's to start a business or we want to have some social impact. Or we want to take care of family members like that's just a part of our innate nature is that we want 
want to create. We want to imagine. We want to solve problems. But unfortunately, for far too many people, money is an obstacle in being able to do that. And there's very little in our educational system that prepares us to do it. And I had the personal experience and the professional experience to create a solution. Well, are your parents must be so proud of you. They love me. You know, <laughs> my mom. What's not to love? Yeah, my mom. Uh, yeah, she does. And my, I tell people all the time, my grandma thinks I'm like Barack. Um, she, when I listen to her talk, to me, talk about me to other people sometimes, I'm like, who's this person? Man, then, I love yeah. that for you. Yeah. That's awesome. It's so interesting how what we experience as children uh, guide us in life's journey, either because of or in spite of. And uh, the use of your experience to fuel what you're doing now is marvelous. Talk to me about how you acquired financial literacy through school or work, business, et cetera. Yeah, there were really two what I would consider monumental experiences uh, when I was in college. So uh, when I went to college, I went to Tennessee State as an engineering major. And I did fine with that, but I met a guy that was a wealth manager and um, he was somebody that I kind of looked up to. I met him through my cousin. I think at that time, maybe I was 20 and I was working and my cousin told me that I needed a Roth IRA and start saving for retirement. And I'm like 20. And so and this particular cousin to this day has a lot of influence on my life. And so she takes me to go meet this guy. He's super cool. Uh, play football in college was talking about he was going to Atlanta and it was like a Wednesday and I'm like man how are you able to go to Atlanta in the middle of the week don't you have to work the rest of the week he was a wealth manager he was an entrepreneur right um he helped people accomplish their financial goals he had freedom of time and and he made a lot of money and I said I want to be that guy and um, that semester, I changed my major from uh, electrical engineering to uh, economics and finance, and I pursued my career in the financial services industry. Man, it is all about having a model of some point, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Some point, some kind. It's so important. People learn in a variety of ways. Book learning's terrific. I'm certainly a proponent of that. But having someone to watch, to model, to emulate, to copy— from anything from being a singer uh, to being an engineer to being an entrepreneur to being a teacher, doctor, it's so important to have that kind of person that you can watch, you can question, you can comment, you can observe, you can uh, really kind of work the material, if you will, that's so different from just a book or a webinar yeah. or a PowerPoint. or Yeah, it's I love it's hard, that. It's hard to be something that you don't see. That's a very, very profound and a bumper sticker in the making. You're exactly right. It is. And I think that for children across the board, there are particular sections in childhood um, and in certain neighborhoods where the model of the future, the model of what you can be, is truncated by certainly the larger systemic issues of poverty and racism and income inequality. And it sounds like you've just dug in and said, man, it doesn't have to be that way. Finances are but a tool. They're not the raison d'etre. They're not the thing that is going to make you, you. It's a tool, which sounds like the gentleman that you were, had decided to really watch, that he really saw money as a tool. And I got to tell you, across the board, I think that is new thinking. 
or thinking that many of us never grew up with. Absolutely. So how long have you been at this with Knowledge Bank? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. So there's been an evolution, and I guess the first part of that started in 2012. So the Knowledge Bank began as a not-for-profit 2012. Um, (laughs) We started a summer program. I knew that I wanted to start teaching kids about money just because the lack of support that existed anywhere else, whether that was home or in school. And I found some kids in the community. I secured uh, venues between the Northwest YMCA and Goodwill. And we hosted these weekly workshops for like two hours. And the kids could earn money in the workshops. Like if they show like comprehension of certain topics, we just give them money on the spots. Like we're throwing one dollar <laughs> bills in the session. And it was really fun. And at the end of the summer, what we would do, all of that money that the kids earned, um, we would match it. And there were some criteria too, but we'd match it. And then we would bring in a financial institution to open up savings accounts for these kids. And we did that for two or three summers and it went really well. And I got a phone call from another organization that was like, hey, can you emulate that summer program into some of our year round programming? And I was like, Absolutely. Right. That's what you do when you get your first like real opportunity. And um, you say, yeah, the answer is always yes. And and we did that with that organization for a couple years. And then I started getting calls from other cities. And it was the phone calls from the other cities that became kind of that second phase of evolution, because I knew our existing model wasn't really meant to scale. And so I started thinking about how we could take the excitement, the engagement level, kind of the coolness and all the swag that we had in our in-person uh, model and um, how can we scale it. And so that's when I started looking at leveraging technology to do some of that. And at the point that technology got involved, I was like, hey, I need to start another organization. And so that's when I started the for-profit social enterprise that we know as Knowledge Bank Solutions. That's amazing. I love that story. You made it sound so simple, and I know it wasn't. So <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about walking that bridge. So I get how you all created not only the program but the demand, which is incredible. And then you began to speak to how you could distribute that on a larger scale and make it replicable, if you will, but realizing that making these summer programs that have to do with kind of that human capital in that space is really hard to do. Yeah. So what I love about this is that taking that highly intensive, it has to be done, uh, you know, kind of person to person and thinking, well, now, wait a second, I can reach more people if. Can you talk to me about that walk across that bridge from the nonprofit space into the social enterprise space? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I remember telling my wife, I was like, you know, I got 30 phone calls from other cities about this. And so she gave me this look that I wasn't really expecting, right? Like, I'm expecting this excitement. And what she said was, this is great, but we have to figure out how we get to the point of using so much of our personal money. Because uh, we both had really good jobs. And, I mean, we were, we were making more money than anybody in our family had ever made. And, um, and so we would take some of that money to, uh, to fund the program. And, you know, a lot of the savings accounts early on, that was our money. And, and my wife told me that 
it, it was so profound the way that she crafted it. But she was basically saying, you're sacrificing at what we have to create it for others. And it wasn't from a selfish place. Right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It was more so from a sustainability place. And so, you know, don't sacrifice what we have in our relationship and make things hard for us for this work. And so I was like, all right, so what can we do? How can we get creative? So that was kind of the first big question that I had to answer. And what we had to do at that point, I started to realize that I could make a living doing this work. It wasn't just a passion project anymore. It slowly became what I saw my career becoming. And so when I graduated from undergrad and and even from grad school, you know, I, I saw myself as being like a corporate executive. I graduated undergrad right before the financial crisis. And so the economy was great and you could go work for a fortune, whatever company. And and so that's what I thought my career trajectory was. And that was all changing. I start seeing myself as a, a CEO, which is still kind of funny to, to hear. So we got to the space where, like, how do we make this work? And so the first thing that we did was how much money do we need to live? And so we started backing through it and, and started talking to some potential partners about how much they would pay me to come to these other cities. We found out really quickly that most organizations just couldn't afford that because we cared a lot about behavioral change. It wasn't just offering this one time experience. Right. You know, you, I could get paid a couple thousand dollars to go to other cities and, and present. And that was great. But the thing that was so strong about it, our model was that we were changing behaviors. And so we wanted to sustain that. And so um, obviously technology becomes a great way to, to scale. And so we started going through the process of how do we take these same programs and digitizing them basically. And so we started out with the digital curriculum. Uh, we were able to pilot that out through some partnerships that we have locally and everything just continues to, to go from there. I mean, I just really love this story. And your wife is incredibly wise on a variety of levels, yeah. <laughs> right? But I love the point where she said, this is great, and we can either be martyrs or we can be business people that actually model to the youth that you're talking to, like, this is how it works if you've got a dream. I also really respect how the seeds of this idea really happened when you were a child. So you watch the balance slash imbalance of the dreams and the endeavors of your parents, and you're like, okay, so let's walk that. We're at that same kind of precipice, if you will, and we're going to fly from it. We're not going to fall from it. And how do we do that? So the use of this very strong program and then technology and doing the pilot programs and then moving on, it really is what we want social impact organizations to consider, either from programming or from this entrepreneur space. It sounds like you had it planned. <laughs> I wish I wish I could say that I had it all planned. Um, but, you know, that's the great thing about making mistakes and failing a little bit. There were multiple failures. Um, were there? Throughout. Oh, my Is there goodness. one you'd like to share? The biggest failure, and I, I was just talking, telling somebody else about this. So the biggest failure was when I started exploring how we use technology in this space, I, I started having like that imposter syndrome and what it was is, OK, we were doing like a financial education program. That's what we were great at. That's what people were calling for. And at the point I started thinking about technology, I started trying to outthink our model. And so I felt like just digitizing the curriculum wasn't good enough and people needed to be wild. And so what I came up with was I had started developing 
a mobile application that could track behavioral changes. And so traditionally, financial literacy has been measured through tests and surveys, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so you can't measure a change in behavior through a multiple choice test. And so I was like, you know, what we can do is we can track certain behaviors um, in our application. We could create behavioral profiles that become success metrics. And so then we could go to organizations and say, hey, if you pay for this, we can tell students exactly what habits they need to conduct in the app and then it would result in some type of outcome, which I still think is a very fascinating model. Um, But the problem was nobody was willing to pay for it. And so I talked to people on the front end and I did some pitches and people loved it and it was phenomenal. But the people that I was talking to on the front end were not the people that were going to be paying for it. And so that's advice to any entrepreneur, like get your (laughs) feedback from the people that are going to pay you. Okay, that matters the most. And so somewhere about, uh, I don't know, halfway through the development of that application, um, I got a little bit smarter. And I went to a conference that was for who our customers were. And I started talking to people about it. And um, there was still some favorable feedback. But when it came to it, when I started following up with those people about paying for this app, they didn't want it. They weren't going to pay for it. And, And then somebody was like, but what about the financial education thing? And that was the point where like, all right, let's just digitize curriculum and create self paced content and That's how we got there. So that was the biggest mistake that I'd ever made. I mean, I understand what you're saying. You go down this path for a while and they're like, yeah, nobody's going to buy it, but it's a great idea. Talk to me a little bit about what it looks like when you have started as a nonprofit. Now you've become a successful social enterprise. What's still frustrating for you in terms of getting this curriculum into the hands of the little ones that you are purposely driven to do? Yeah. One of the biggest challenges to overcome is that when people think about our brand, historically, we were a nonprofit. Right. And so when people call or email like, hey, we want to you know, form this partnership or whatever, um, you know, they want us to do it for free. I mean, even as a nonprofit, I don't I don't think it's all the way fair to have the expectation that they can always provide their services for free because they have to sustain the work that they do. And so um, that part has been, you know, challenging. And so we're doing some um, what I think are some really creative things to help uh, reintroduce our brand and help people familiarize themselves with the idea of social enterprise, right? And so this idea of having a double or triple bottom line, we can do great work uh, for the community and also be profitable at the same time. And so that part is challenging. The other challenge is that anytime I talk to people about the work that we do, which is putting financial education content within organizations, Um, everybody has this personal connection to it. Everybody believes that we should be teaching the concept of money at an earlier age. Everybody believes that it should be in middle school and high school and college and in our corporations. Like everybody believes that. And then when I, you know, when I have some conversations with some of the organizations, um, it, it doesn't always seem like the priority is there, especially from a perspective of having to pay for it. And that's why I think it's really important to be able to communicate the value of what you provide. And so what we've been able to do with our content, especially at the post-secondary level and even in regards to corporations, we can say, hey, you know, when your employees have answers to their financial concerns, they're more productive. They're at work more. And, And so that's one value proposition for on the university side. 
when students are educated on the complexities of student loans and the repayment options and even some of the benefits that are available to them, they're much more confident in their ability to repay their loans. They don't borrow as much. They give back to the university once they graduate. They don't default on their student loans. And that's the purpose of our post-secondary organizations is that we create whole students they'll go out into the world they create they they fill the jobs in our job market and then we want them to give back to our institutions the last thing a university wants is to see their student loan default rates go up right and then we, we can also make sure that students are taking advantage of the time that they're in school. So as opposed to just going to school, being undecided or or picking some major that's probably just going to prolong their time in school without any expected outcome after graduation, we're creating more focused students because now they've put a price tag on this education. And they're like, hey, you know, I need to have this done in a certain amount of time. And I'm here to produce a return on my investment. And so we're doing much more communication around that, the value of financial education. And we believe that that's going to help some of our partners see the value of paying for what we do. I'm completely sold. The notion that money is, again, a tool versus something that is to encumber you or is not accessible to you. And I love it in that post-secondary space so that institutions of higher education, certainly aspirational, right, but that they are just pieces of your journey. And so you need to treat that as the product that it is. Yes. And it needs to work for you, just like money needs to work for you rather than being afraid of it. Um, are there ways that those uh, that are listening can become ambassadors for Knowledge Bank? How can people in Nashville and beyond be of help to you? Yeah, absolutely. We are looking to have more conversations with uh, with universities, not just universities, but, but colleges, post-secondary schools, vocational schools, to have this conversation about how incorporating a digital financial education can support your students and enhance the outcomes that you want to see. So those introductions are welcome. Um, the social enterprise part of our business is, and so it's, it's yeah, we're, we're providing financial education, but our goal is to get to a place where we can offer our, all of our youth content for free. Wow. So, um, and we want to be able to do that for public school districts. Uh, we want to be able to do that for nonprofits. And so we're using that revenue right now. It's subsidizing the cost of our youth content, but we want to be able to offer that for free. And so if there's anybody listening that works for an amazing foundation or corporation that needs a community engagement initiative, one that has some very strong outcomes, um, they're looking for a, a different way to be a good corporate citizen. We're looking for those conversations as well. And then that allows us to make our content available to youth and schools and nonprofits. And then that helps build our talent pipeline as well. Oh, absolutely. So for the little ones, you actually provide a means for them to practice financial management. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So what we have done, and we've done this for a couple of reasons. So at the point that we start producing more digital content and start working with organizations, there were a lot of families that felt left out from the work that we were doing. Because, again, remember, we started working with families, right? They would bring their students to our summer program. And so at the point that we started partnering with organizations, they kind of felt left out and they needed the support. And so the challenge for me became how do I 
empower parents to have these same conversations with smaller kids. And um, what we did, we decided to design a bank. And so we have developed the actual knowledge bank that's sitting right here next to us. Yeah, we're going to put that on the website, on yeah. the McFarland Group website, because first of all, it's adorable. So I know kids are going to just pick it up and want to have it. So Absolutely. And and so it's not like your regular piggy bank, no, right? No, it's not. Um, so it's, it's separated into three sections. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a save bank, there's a um, share bank, and there's a spend bank. And what it does is... It allows parents to start teaching kids the basics of managing money. And we include some talking points on the back to help facilitate the conversation. We're producing some digital content to help out with that as well. There are several videos out there with me and my daughter um, using the bank uh, on a weekly basis. And so what what has happened now with the families that have bought the bank, I'm getting emails and calls from parents and they're like, my kid is obsessed with this bank. And and I get it, right? Like it it's it's colorful. It has the super money kids theme and and we did that intentionally. And so we see little kids like 4 or 5 years old holding their parents accountable to pay them, right? <laughs> um to help them count the money. And so there's so many other skills that are developed through this and and so I, I did it because for families. I wanted them to have a tool. But another reason why we did this is, is right now our company is bootstrapped. Our first products have been financed by our personal savings. Um, my mom has loaned me some money. We've taken, put some, uh, some expenses on a 0% credit card. And so you kind of get creative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't quite ready to start, you know, seeking dilutive capital. And so I was like, what else can I do to start? you know, making some money for the company. And so that was the second reason for the banks. And so that was my entrepreneurial spirit coming out in another way. And and so it's it's met several needs. And so we're really excited about these things. And and now I'm having to put more resources in marketing because so many people are interested. We have schools asking questions. So we've started building a curriculum around it and piloted that with a couple of elementary schools. And so something that we were initially selling to families individually, we're looking for opportunities to do them for organizations as well. So we kind of get back to the to the same uh, format that we started with. But I've been really excited about the feedback. You know, I, I love that. And I'm sure on your um, vision board, there's also thinking about knowledge banks for folks who've gone through transitions. Right. Divorce, death, moving, losing jobs to try to get back into that. It's just teaching the discipline of using this tool so that you can realize your dreams or your goals for life. Um, yeah, it's it's absolutely adorable. I'll make sure that there's photos and it would be a terrific a gift for any any little kid. It's marvelous. And I haven't seen the video, so I'm going to have to see you and your daughter. Does she like school you or? When you a see little the, bit. <laughs> when you see the videos, you will say his daughter is absolutely schooling him. She <laughs> is doing yeah, I get schooled on the regular. That's awesome. Sometimes when I'm not even sometimes when it's not even related to the banks. But <laughs> well, welcome, right? Yeah. To being a parent, right? Welcome. Courtney, this has been great. We'll have to have you back so we can see um, the growth. Oh, yeah. of Knowledge Bank. I would just absolutely love that. Um, and for subscribers, just so you know, uh, Courtney and I are going to talk a little bit more and that's going to go on that special space for you folks. So make sure you tune in and get onto the website to see what that's going to be about. Uh, we, we could talk for a long, long time. I am so 
thankful for you to make time in your very, very busy life to come on to 3 a.m. Um, and I'm just, as we close, like I'm able to do for all our guests, let me give you your new bedside idea book, the 3 a.m. bedside book, so that when you wake up in the middle of the night and you have all these great, more of these fantastic ideas and how to help more people and how to pay even more forward into the society, You've got a pen, you've got the 3 a.m. book, and right away, I love it. we this need is, it. I definitely need this. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming. It's been a joy. Well, thank you for having me. You are a delightful friend. You were very kind to give us your time. And, and get your calendar ready because we've got to come back in a couple months and see what new things are happening and how we can be of help to you and Knowledge Bank. So thank you, Courtney, so much. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Our time is up for this episode. Thank you for listening. My name is Deb McFarlane Enright, your host on 3AM, a production of the McFarlane Group. Courtney Hale of Knowledge Bank Solutions shows us how a passion project created simply to help some kids understand money a little bit better now serves young people from elementary school through post-secondary and beyond. He teaches them that money is merely a tool to fuel dreams and ideas. He showed us through his commitment to have an impact that a nonprofit idea can become a social enterprise that is scalable, spawning even more ideas in the financial literacy space. Please subscribe to our podcast for my takeaways from all our 3 a.m. conversations at themcfarlandgroup.com. And this time, Courtney shares his go-to books and podcasts he uses for inspiration and learning. He also talks about the two people in his life that inspire him to do great things, his best and worst days as a social entrepreneur, and finally, what keeps him up at 3 a.m. As ever, our thanks go to Relationary Marketing and the Nashville Entrepreneur Center for their continued support of 3 a.m. And thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in to 3 a.m. as we bring more conversations your way to help you optimize your impact in making the world better, disrupting the status quo.